Well, if you brought your Bible or you want to follow along off the wall, we are in 2 Chronicles chapter 20 tonight. Chapter 20? I thought I eliminated all these other guys. Is there another one open? Maybe, maybe there's two open. Just go to window and see if there is one that says like um, 1920, 21, 22. Just end that show. Just hit end show on that one, Vicky, first. Okay. And... And now up at the top where it says Windows, window, see if there's another one that's open. Because I may have opened both of those trying to figure out where it was tonight. Should be one that says like 18, 19, 20, 21. Do you see that one? Okay. <laughs> Thank you, Vicky. Okay, before we get into the Word tonight, let's just, let's just pray and ask the Lord's blessing on it. Father, we just thank you for times when we can come together, we can open your Word, and, and we can hear your voice speaking to us, because that's really what your Word is. It's your voice to us. And, and as we're going through the book of Second Chronicles, and so much of it is just historical stuff, but it's not just normal people reading about here. We're reading about this line of David this line of the Messiah. And God, we, we have seen kings that have, that have followed David and Solomon and Rehoboam, and we've, we've watched some of these kings do great exploits. We watched some of them become very evil. And God, as we get into this study and we look at Jehoshaphat, there are so many things that you want, us, want to remind us of, that you want to teach us tonight. And I just pray, Lord, that our, our eyes would be open to your word, our, our ears would be attentive. And as we sang a couple of moments ago, God, that our hearts would be prepared for what you want to speak to us about. And when I think of that, that preparation, it's, it's like we, we break up the soil and we are now ready for you to plant the seed. We're now ready for you to come and to sow your word into our hearts so that it can produce fruit and produce a harvest. And help us to learn the things that you want us to learn tonight. Hear the things you want us to hear in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, Second Chronicles chapter 20, starting at verse 1. It happened after this that the people of Moab with the people of Ammon and others with them besides the Ammonites came to battle against Jehoshaphat. Then some came and told Jehoshaphat, saying, A great multitude is coming against you from beyond the sea, from Syria. And they which are in Hazan Tamar, which is En Gedi, which is on the west shore of the Dead Sea, is where these people were at this time. And Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. And, and as the king, he realized that, that our armies were not sufficient to fight this battle. And in case you haven't noticed, there are times in your life, almost on a regular basis, that God leads you into a battle that is too great for you, okay? And there's sometimes you, you find yourself walking through this valley, and it's like, God, I can't even make it through this valley. I can't even make it through this time. This is so incredibly difficult. God, this is the most difficult thing I've ever gone through, the most difficult thing I've ever endured. And at those times, we are, 
we're called upon to not rely on our own strength and our own ability, but to rely on his. And, and Paul summed that up really well when he talked about that thorn in the flesh that he had. And he said, you know, I, I sought the Lord about this three times. And God spoke to me and said, my grace is sufficient for you. For in your weakness, I am made strong. And at those times when you're weak, those are the times that God has the opportunity to be the strongest on your behalf. And it, it, here in a very natural way, okay, Jehoshaphat is, is being attacked now by these, these nations that have come against him. And, and of course, the, the first reaction is fear, okay? And, and that's exactly what he did. But notice what he did with the fear. Anytime you have fear, there's only one cure for it, okay? And that's to go to the Lord because God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Now that verse, when Paul wrote that to Timothy, that told us that when it comes to fear, fear is not a natural enemy. Fear is a spiritual enemy, okay? And God has not given us a spirit of fear but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And that's why people that try to conquer fear, you know, on their own can't seem to do it because it's a spiritual battle. And as a Christian, there may be times, I remember there's one time in my life and it was, it was the most incredibly difficult time. I was pastoring in Northern California and some things had happened and I, I started having these panic attacks. I don't know if you've ever had a panic attack, but it is the freakiest thing ever. And it was like right there all the time. So I would go to the hospital and, and visit somebody and all of a sudden this thing, this, this fear would just hit me and they'd look at me and say, Pastor, are you okay? You just, you turned, you know, completely white and I had a hard time breathing and it was like, I remember sitting in my office one day and I said, God, you, you've called me to, to minister to people and I can't do it. I just, I am totally unable. This, this fear has totally debilitated me. I mean, I am just bound by this thing. And it was kind of like God really spoke to my heart and said, Ray, I've been waiting for you to come to me and stop trying to fight this thing on your own. And, you know, sometimes we just, we kind of think faith is us fighting things on our own. And faith isn't us fighting things on our own. Faith is us hiding behind the... the the legs of God and holding on, okay? And that's, that's what real faith is. It's not a matter of, I'm going to show myself strong. It's like, God, I have fought this one. I mean, it went on for months. And I said, God, I fought this and I can't do it anymore. I mean, I'm either going to have a nervous breakdown or, or I'm going to die. Because that's a feeling you have. If you ever had one of those, it feels like you're going to die. And I said, God, I'm just going to die. I'm going to give in to this thing one day and I'm just going to lay on the floor dead. And, and, I, said, and, and, and I said, God, it's, and I, I didn't realize that I never really brought it to him that I thought it was something that I had to suck it up and I had to be tough and I had to overcome. And, and sitting in my office that day, and I was just crying. And it's like God just put his arms around me and said, I've been waiting for you to come. I've been waiting for you to realize you can't fight this one on your own. And it was like, boom. It, it was over. And so, you know, when I see Jehoshaphat fearing, it's like, you know, I mean, you think about, about being the king and being overwhelmed by this enormous army that's come against you and the pressure you personally would feel because you know you're going to be put to death but it's not just you that's going to be put to death but all your children and and how many of your countrymen and how many of these people that that are looking to you for guidance are also going to die and and that fear just hit him and he did the best thing he could ever do he sought the lord he set himself to seek the lord he proclaimed a fast throughout all judah So all Judah gathered together to ask help from the Lord, and from all the cities of Judah they came to seek the Lord. This is an incredible time of revival in in the nation of Judah right here. As, As 
one, they come together, and they come together for one thing. Not to sharpen their weapons, not to work on their, on their fighting abilities, but they come for no other reason other than to seek the Lord. Then Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court and said, there's a wonderful prayer here, O Lord God of our fathers, you are you not God in heaven, and do you not rule over all the kingdoms of the nations? And in your hand is there not power and might so that no one is able to withstand you? Are you not our God who drove out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and gave it to the descendants of Abraham, your friend forever? I've always loved that, that phrase, Abraham, your friend. You gave it to the descendants of Abraham, your friend forever. And they dwell in it. And have built you a sanctuary in it for your name, saying, If disaster comes upon us, sword, judgment, pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this temple and in your presence, for your name is in this temple, and cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear and save. Which is exactly what God promised to do when Abraham was dedicating that that temple to him. And God responded and said, And if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, and seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sins, I will heal their land. And, and here Jehoshaphat is reminding God, God, I'm not making these words up. This isn't my idea. These are the words you used, that you would hear and you would save. And now, verse 10, here are the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came out of the land of Egypt. But they turned from them and did not destroy them. Here they are, rewarding us by coming to throw us out of your possession, which you have given us to inherit. O our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power against this great multitude that is coming against us, nor do we know what to do. But our eyes are upon you. That is a great line, okay? God, we don't know what to do, so we're watching you. Verse 13. Now all Judah with their little ones, their wives and their children, stood before the Lord. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Jeel, the son of Mataniah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph in the midst of the assembly. And he said... Listen, all you of Judah, and you inhabitants of Jerusalem, and you, King Jehoshaphat. Thus says the Lord to you, Do not be afraid nor dismayed because of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow go down against them. They will surely come up by the ascent of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the brook before the wilderness of Jeril. You will not need to fight in this battle. Position yourselves, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord who is with you. O Judah and Jerusalem, do not fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow you go out against them, for the Lord is with you. And Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground, and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem bowed before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. What an incredible statement. And and really what what Jehoshaphat did when he, when he prayed this prayer was he assigned this attack to the Lord. As king, you know, you pretty much are the, 
are the commander-in-chief. And, and if an army comes out against you, you're pretty much the one who makes the call. And Jehoshaphat here in this prayer says, God, you're the one who put us here. You didn't let us attack these people when we came out of Egypt. Now they're repaying us evil. God, th- you need to punish them. This is your problem, not ours. And really, that's, that's what we're doing when we cast our cares upon the Lord. We are saying, God, this is your problem. This isn't my problem. And, and the Lord answers here and says, now you're going to have to show up for the battle. You're not going to have to fight, but you are going to have to show up. And so everyone, you know, bows their head to the, with their faces to the ground, and they worshiped God. Verse 19, then the Levites of the children of the Kohathites and of the children of the Korathites stood up to praise the Lord God of Israel with voices loud and high. And just watch this unfold as, as they come together. And, and one of the things that was mentioned there, they brought their little ones. They brought their kids here because they wanted their kids to understand that if God doesn't come through for us kids, we're all dead. Okay? We are going to be totally overwhelmed and overrun by this army. And so they bring their kids there. And you can see these fathers with their arms around their kids and, and the moms you know, holding the, the kids close to them. And as, as Jehoshaphat is praying this prayer, and they're all saying, yes, God, yes, God. And then the Lord answers with this incredible word. And then you know, they just bow down and praise. And then the, the Levites begin to sing. And they begin to praise God with voices loud and high. So they rose early in the morning and went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. And as they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, hear me, O Judah, and you inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and you shall be established. Believe his prophets, and you shall prosper. And when he had consulted with the people, he appointed those who should sing to the Lord and who should praise the beauty of holiness as they went out before the army and were saying, praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. So get the picture of this. So after consulting with the people, he said, this is the way we're going to order the battle. Always you send out your armed men beforehand, right? You want to intimidate the enemy. You want to show the enemy that you've got these muscular guys, the big guys stood in front, okay? You want these guys to stand there with their swords and their spears and their javelins and their bows and arrows, whatever they are equipped with, and you want them marching out. And you want that army to see those people and to know, wow, this is a formidable foe. And rather than sending the army out first, he moves the army to the back, and he gets all the worshipers. And he has the worshipers go out in front of the army, and they are singing this song. And this song is, praise the Lord, for his mercy endures forever. So as they're marching, they have this, this, this praise rising to heaven as they're going. Verse 22, now when they began to sing and to praise, the Lord set ambushes against the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah, and they were defeated. And don't miss the connection in that verse. The victory was the result of praise. When they began to sing and to praise, things began to happen. And sometimes when we're going through difficulty, the first thing we lose is our song. The first thing we lose is our praise. We're depressed over situations. We're down over situations. And God wants us to understand what this verse teaches us, that even in those darkest times, it may be a sacrifice of praise. You may not feel like saying it. You may not feel like doing it. But there is something in the spiritual realm that happens when we praise God. And when they began to sing and to begin to praise God, there was something going on in the enemy's camp. 
verse 23 explains what happened. For the people of Ammon and Moab stood up against the inhabitants of Mount Seir to utterly kill and destroy them. And when they had made an end to the inhabitants of Seir, they helped to destroy one another. So these armies that have come out are now fighting against each other. What are, what's God's army doing? They're marching behind the choir. They're marching behind the worshipers, right? And, and the worshipers are singing and lifting their voice to God. And, and as they are lifting their voice to God, God is intervening and there's total confusion and people don't know who their enemy is and they just slaughter each other. So, verse 24, when Judah came to a place overlooking the wilderness, they looked toward the multitude, and there were their dead bodies fallen on the earth. No one had escaped. They had totally killed each other. When Jehoshaphat and his people came to take away their spoil, they found among them an abundance of valuables on the dead bodies and precious jewelry which they stripped off for themselves, more than they could carry away. And they were three days gathering the spoil because there was so much. Now, I don't know why when this army came out that they brought all their valuables with them. I don't know if they thought, you know, if we leave this stuff with our wives, they're going to hock it or what they were thinking. But these guys brought all their valuables, all the, the jewelry and the gold. They brought it all with them. And here they are out in the wilderness now, all dead, and their pockets are full of gold, and they have gold chains around their necks, and gold earrings, and they have, they have all of this incredibly valuable, precious jewelry on them. And so the, the people of Judah spend three days, that day and two more days, just taking loads of this back to Jerusalem. And on the fourth day, they assembled in the valley of Baraka, and the Baraka means blessing. For there they blessed the Lord. Therefore, the name. Sorry, page is stuck. Therefore, the name of the place was called the Valley of Baraka, until this day. They called this place the Valley of Blessing, because although the enemy came to destroy them, and to annihilate and eliminate them, it ended up being a place where they were incredibly blessed. And file that one away, okay? Because there will be some times in your life. When you go, we will go through difficult times and through deep valleys. And when you, when you find yourself in that valley, God has a way of turning it around to a valley of blessing for you. And I love that, you know, not only did they go out when they initially went out, you know, singing, you know, praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. Not only did they, did they begin with that, but they ended with that. That fourth day, there were, there were no more valuables to carry away. They just went back out. Because all they wanted to do was bless God. All they wanted to do was say, thank you, God, for what you did for us. Because four days ago, our lives were, were gone. Okay, Four days ago, there didn't seem to be any way that we were even going to be alive. But not only are we alive, we have been incredibly blessed. Verse 27, then they returned every man of Judah and Jerusalem with Jehoshaphat in front of them to go back to Jerusalem with joy, for the Lord had made them rejoice over their enemies. So they came back to Jerusalem with stringed instruments and harps and trumpets to the house of the Lord, and the fear of God was on all the kingdoms of those countries when they heard that the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel. And so everybody else hears about what took place, and 
they, you know, whether, whether they thought the Israelites had defeated all of these armies or they had heard that, you know, Israel's God had somehow intervened, we're not sure, but there was a great fear that fell on all these people because this country is not fighting on their own, but God is fighting with them. Then the realm of Jehoshaphat was quiet, for his God gave him rest all around. Verse 31. So Jehoshaphat was king over Judah. He was 35 years old when he became king, and he reigned 25 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Azubah, the daughter of Shalai. And he walked in the way of his father Asa, and did not turn aside from it, doing what was right in the sight of the Lord. Nevertheless, the high places were not taken away, for as yet the people had not directed their hearts to the God of their fathers. And you'll notice that, that although um, Jehoshaphat is, is walking in the ways of the Lord, the people are still not completely sold out on that. They're still um, doing their sacrificing on the, on the, in the high places because they had not directed their hearts like the king had directed his heart. Now the rest of the Acts of Jehoshaphat, first and last, indeed they are written in the book of Jehu, the son of Hanani, which is mentioned in the book of the kings of Israel. After this, Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, allied himself with Ahaziah, king of Israel, who acted very wickedly. And, and when, we, when we read this, you know, this is not the first time Jehoshaphat ended up doing this. Okay, now... Uh, Ahaziah was actually the son of Ahab, son of Ahab and his wonderful wife named Jezebel. And, uh, and so Ahaziah was carrying on in his father's footsteps, and Jehoshaphat aligned, aligned himself with, um, with Ahaziah. Although Jehoshaphat didn't act very wickedly, Ahaziah acted wickedly. And this is a really good example, these next few verses, a really good example why we are not to be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. And he allied himself with him to make ships to go to Tarshish. And they made ships in Ezongeber. But Elizer, the son of Dovah of Merish, uh, Merishah, prophesied against Jehoshaphat, saying, Because you have allied yourself with Ahaziah, the Lord has destroyed your works. Then the ships were wrecked so that they were not able to go to Tarshish. So these, these two kings got together and, um, and Ahaziah got together with Jehoshaphat and they decided, hey, we're going to do a joint venture here. We're going to build ships together and we're going to you know, go into foreign lands and, and bring back treasure. Great idea, but you'll notice that God caused those ships to be wrecked, caused this not to prosper because Jehoshaphat had aligned himself with a wicked man, with a wicked king. Second uh, Chronicles 21. And Jehoshaphat rested with his fathers and, the, and was buried with his fathers in the city of David. Then Jehoram, his son, reigned in his place. He had brothers, the sons of Jehoshaphat, Azariah, Jehiel, Zechariah, Azarihu, Michael, Shephatiah, and these were the sons of Jehoshaphat, king of Israel. And their father gave them great gifts of silver and gold and precious things with fortified cities in, Jeru in Judah. But he gave the kingdom to Jehoram because he was the firstborn. So all the brothers got some of the treasure. Okay, So his father was just really diligent about making sure that no one was left out. They all received this incredible amount of treasure. It, his, his estate, so to speak, was divided equally among them all. But Jehoram 
received the kingdom. He became king. Now when Jehoram was established over the kingdom of his father, he strengthened himself and killed all his brothers with the sword and also others of the princes of Israel. Now I don't know what was taking place in Jehoram's mind, okay? But somewhere along the line, he perceived his brothers and relatives as somehow being a threat to him. And that somehow they were going to undermine him and they were going to try to take the kingdom away from him. So he acted in a preemptive strike and just eliminated them all. Jehoram was 32 years old when he became king. And he reigned eight years in Jerusalem. And he walked in the ways, way of the kings of Israel, just as the house of Ahab had done. For he had the daughter of Ahab as a wife, and he did evil in the sight of the Lord. Yet the Lord would not destroy the house of David because of the covenant that he had made with David. And since he had promised to give a lamp to him and to his sons forever. In his days, Edom revolted against Judah's authority and made a king over themselves. So Jehoram went out with his officers and all his chariots with him, and he rose by night and attacked the Edomites, who had surrounded him and the captains of the chariots. Thus Edom had been in revolt against Judah's authority to this day. At that time, Libna revolted against his rule because he had forsaken the God of his fathers. Now remember, we just read about Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat had peace, and all these nations were, in, were afraid of him because the Lord was with him. And now we find all of these nations rising up against his son Jehoram because he is not walking with the Lord, and that fear of the Lord is not falling upon them. Moreover, he made high places in the mountains of Judah, and caused the inhabitants of Jerusalem to commit harlotry and led Judah astray. And a letter came to him from Elijah the prophet. Now this is really interesting right here, because this is the only time we ever read about Elijah sending a letter. Okay, Elijah, you recall, was a prophet who spoke in, in Samaria in the northern kingdom. He spoke to the kings of the northern kingdom, really didn't have anything to do with Judah at all. Well, God lays it on his heart. He writes this letter, and he sends it down to the king. So this, this letter came from Elijah, the prophet, saying, Thus says the Lord God of your, fathers, of your father David, because you have not walked in the ways of Jehoshaphat your father, or in the ways of Asa, king of Judah, but have walked in the ways of the kings of Israel, and have made Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to play the harlot like the harlotry of the house of Ahab, and also have killed your brothers, those of your father's household, who were better than yourself. There's one thing about Elijah. Elijah called it like he saw it, okay? And he said, you killed these, these, your brothers, and your brothers were more noble than you. They were better. The only reason you ended up with the kingdom, why? Because he was the firstborn. That was the only reason. Dad didn't look at the most qualified one or the most spiritual one. He just said, well, Jehoram's the oldest, so he's going to get the kingdom. Well, he was the worst one to have the kingdom who are better, for, better than yourself. Behold, the Lord will strike your people with a serious affliction, your children, your wives, and all your possessions, and you will become very sick with the disease of your intestines until your intestines come out by reason of the sickness day by day. There's an incredibly gross visual that I hate being a visual person because I'm seeing that one. Ah, that is just gross. Moreover, the Lord stirred up against Jehoram, the spirit of the Philistines, 
and the Arabians who were near the Ethiopians, and they came up into Judah and invaded it and carried away the possessions that were found in the king's house and also his sons and his wives, so that there was not a son left to him except Jehoaz, the youngest of his sons. After all this, the Lord struck him in his intestines with an incurable disease. Then it happened in the course of time, after the end of two years, two years of this horrendous sickness, that his intestines came out because of his sickness. So he died in severe pain, and his people made no burning for him like the burning of his fathers. He was 32 years old when he became king. He reigned in Jerusalem eight years, and to no one's sorrow departed. Wow, can you, nobody missed this guy. Nobody said, oh, how sad is this? Our king died. Everybody says, good riddance. To no one's sorrow, he departed. However, they, they showed him respect. They buried him in the city of David, but not in the tombs of the kings. He was not even allowed, because of his wickedness, he was not even allowed to be buried in, um, in the tombs that, that belonged to the kings. Let's jump into chapter 22. Then the inhabitants of Jerusalem made Ahaziah, his youngest son, king in his place. For the raiders who came with the Arabians into the camp had killed all the older sons. So Ahaziah... The son of Jehoram, king of Judah, reigned. Ahaziah was 42 years old when he became king, and he reigned one year in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Athaliah, the granddaughter of Omri, who was also, just for the record, the daughter of Ahab and Jezebel. He also walked in the ways of the house of Ahab, for his mother had advised him to do wickedly. Therefore he did evil in the sight of the Lord, like the house of Ahab, for they were his counselors after the death of his father to his destruction. He also followed their advice and went with Jehoram, the son of Ahab, king of Israel, to war against Haziel, king of Syria, at Ramoth Gilead. And the Syrians wounded Joram. Then he returned to Jezreel to recover from the wounds which he had received at Ramah when he fought against Haziel, king of Syria. And Azariah, the son of Jehoram, king of Judah, went down to see Jehoram, the son of Ahab in Jezreel, because he was sick. His going to Joram was God's occasion for Ahaziah's downfall. For when he arrived, he went out with Jehoram against Jehu, the son of Nimshi, whom the Lord had anointed to cut off the house of Ahab. And God had given plenty of warnings to the relatives of Ahab, saying, you know, you guys better straighten up and fly right. They refused. And so God raised up Jehu to really be the executioner. Well, guess what? Ahaziah was in the wrong place at the wrong time. And he went out to, uh, to fight against uh, Jehu, the son of Nimshite, verse 8. And it happened when Jehu was executing judgment on the house of Ahab and found the princes of Judah and the sons of Ahaziah's, Ahaziah's brother who served Ahaziah, that he killed them. Then he searched for Ahaziah and they caught him, he was hiding in Samaria, and brought him to Jehu. When they had killed him, they buried him because, they said, he is the son of Jehoshaphat who sought the Lord with all his heart. So they showed him respect by at least burying him in, in a tomb. Evidently, the, the other brothers that were killed, all the rest of the descendants of Ahab, you recall, were left for the dogs to eat. 
Okay? So all the house, so the house of Ahaziah had no one to assume power of the kingdom because all his sons had been killed, all his brothers had been killed. Remember, his, his father killed all, his, all of his uncles, so there was nobody there. Now when Athaliah, the mother of Ahaziah, saw that her son was dead, she arose and destroyed all the royal heirs of the house of Judah. So now we have his mom who steps up and kills every direct, direct descendant, direct relative of, of, the, of the royal family so that there's no one who can now step in and reign, uh, you know, a direct descendant of David. But Jehoshabeth, the daughter of the king, took Joash, the son of Ahaziah, and stole him away among the king's sons who were being murdered and put him and his nurse in a bedroom. So Jehoshabeth, the daughter of King Jehoram, the wife of Jehoiada the priest, for she was a sister of Ahaziah, hid him from Athaliah so that she did not kill him. And he was hidden with them in the house of God for six years while Athaliah reigned over the land. So now we have the queen mother who is, who is reigning, the, the daughter of, of Jezebel, who has now eliminated the royal seed, and she is now the one who is reigning over, over Israel. However, there is one young child who is being kept away who is being preserved, who is living in the house of the Lord, that, as we'll see in the next chapter, becomes the next king. Father, we thank you for your word tonight, and, and just thank you again, God, for, for the way that, that your word just, just teaches us so much. God, as we've read through these, these chapters tonight, we just think of so many things that, that we were reminded of that we hadn't heard in a long time, and, and maybe a couple things that you know, we'd never even heard before, maybe that letter to Elijah or, or, or all the, the, um, the elimination of the royal seed that was going on here. And, and God, again, I thank you that it's not just history, but it's spiritual truth that we can learn from, and I just pray that through this week, Lord, that you will just continue to teach us your word and to teach us your ways. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so anybody have a good report to share with us tonight? Anything the Lord has done, a prayer God has answered, something out of the book of Proverbs that has jumped